I'm going to continue on the message today uh, in our mission series, Advancing the Gospel Part 2. If you are here last week, uh, boy, God did an amazing thing. The prophetic word was moving. How many of you felt different in your prayer closet and in your time with God last week? Raise your hand if you did. I know I did. Praise God. Amen. It's going to continue to be that way. Um, Today is Advancing the Gospel Part 2, and we're going to continue on with this whole local missions thing. And I want you to really tune in with me today because I'm going to shotgun blast a whole lot of different things at you because they're things that I'm hoping we're going to do and start working towards in 2023 as a church. And it's all local missions. It's all outreach, if you want to say it that way. So I'm going to read again 1 Timothy 1.15. I'm going to start right there. Um, and uh, we're going we're gonna to go from there. Yes, thank you. 1 Timothy 1.15, it is on the screens, and uh, you can just be seated. You don't need to stand if you don't want to. It says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Watch this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why did Jesus come here? Was that his mission? Yes. What should be our main mission? Now, you can dress it up any way you want. You can lost, unchurched, whatever you want. The Bible clearly says Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's not a derogatory. I mean, it just means somebody who's habitually sinning. And guess what? Before you came to Christ, you were in that category. I was in that category. But glory to God, he set us free from that. So that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now, we look at that and we say, well, Paul was chief of sinners. Praise God, he's showing a little humility. But really, the focus of that verse needs to be that Christ Jesus came into the world to save what? Sinners. So shouldn't the church be reaching sinners? Shouldn't all sinners be welcome in the house of God? From the dirtiest to the ones that think they're the cleanest, shouldn't we be reaching people for the gospel of Jesus? Amen? Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so very much for your word. I thank you for all that you've got in store for us in 2023. God, you have set our church up to see many souls come to know you next year. 2023 is our year. We're going to see more souls in that year than we've ever seen before. I pray, God, that you would just anoint us to hear what the word of the Lord is today. I pray, anoint me to speak it, Father God. Anoint me that as I declare your word, God, little ideas would pop up in people's hearts and spirits within the sound of my voice and would want to begin to do some of these local missions to reach people for your namesake. Lord, anoint me to speak your word, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. Let this seed fall in the good soil of our heart and grow bear forth fruit in our lives. In Christ's name, and everybody said... Amen. Hold your Bibles up if you got it on your phone or a paper Bible, however you do it. I want you just to hold it up in the air and let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen, amen. High five two or three people right there by you. Say, hey, we're going to advance the gospel. I 
I can't remember who I told this to, but I don't believe it was in the church setting. So let me just share this. In, in our pastor's university, we were sitting down at one of the places that we stayed and we were eating breakfast. And this young couple from Germany in their late 20s, maybe, they had been to the university. One of them had a doctorate. The other one was working on it. Young couple. And they were in New Orleans visiting. I found out Unbeknownst to me, New Orleans is a highly attractive city for people from other countries. As we would view going to London and Paris, people in other countries view going to New Orleans, of all things, believe it or not. They bring in about, I forget what it is, it's like nine, 19 and a half million visitors a year. It's unbelievable. But I found out that families either do like an East Coast trip from another country or they do a Central kind of America trip or a West trip. This particular couple started in Louisville, then they went to Nashville, down through Mississippi and New Orleans, had a couple weeks, and they just took the drive. Well, I like to ask people questions, so I just said, hey, tell me, what surprised you about being in America? I mean, the wife didn't hesitate. She immediately, she said, well, she said, when we were driving through Mississippi, she said, there was a church everywhere. She said, you, I mean, you just drive by one, there's another one, there's another. It's like there's a church in every corner down here in the South. I said, well, why does that surprise you? I said, do you not have churches in Germany? She said, yeah, we have churches in Germany. She said, you might have a town with a church, but then you drive and you might not see another church for 20, 30, 50 miles. I said, really? She said, yeah. She said, y'all, I know she got all these denominations. She said, we just kind of have Catholic and Protestant. You know, you're one of the two. I said, wow, okay. I said, well, what else surprised you? She said, well, she said, we pulled into the gas pump. Uh, at the gas station to pump gas, and she said, we couldn't get it to work. We couldn't figure out what was going on. So finally, my husband walked in there to pump, get, oh, hey, what's going on here? Why can't we pump gas? And the gas attendant told us, well, you have to pay for your gas first. I said, well, why does that surprise you? I said, you don't have to pay for your gas first in Germany? She said, no. She said, you pump your gas in Germany, and then you go inside and pay. I said, hold up. I said, uh, people in Germany won't just drive off after they've pumped their gas? She got almost offended at the question. And here's what she said. She said, uh, no. She said, nobody in Germany would drive off without paying for their gas. She said, nobody would think of pumping their gas and then stealing it. I got done with breakfast, and me and Holly got in the car to head to Pastor's U, and I told her about the conversation. I said, hold up. I said, something ain't right. I said, you got a country that started two world wars, killed six million innocent Jews and other people, and they got a church within 50 miles of another church, but they wouldn't think twice about stealing gas. And we live in a country that's got a church on every corner. We helped stop those two wars they started. And yet if you let people pump gas without paying for it here, nine out of ten would probably drive off and not pay for it. We need revival in America. Let me say that again. We need revival in America. I think I need to say it again. We need God in America, and we need revival in America again. Do you believe that? Did you know that most stores are pulling out of California because they're legally allowed to steal up to $1,000 per transaction? So they can go in and just load up what they want. As long as it's not $1,000, they can walk out the door and you can't even call the cops. Wouldn't you want to go live in California? 
Folks, we need God in America again. They're trying to do all kinds of stuff that's just out there. So my question to you is, how will you help bring God into people's lives? How will you help advance the gospel? What are you currently doing right now to advance the gospel? What are you currently doing to get the word of God out there to your coworkers and neighbors and your family members? Matthew 5, 16 says it this way. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Did you know we're supposed to be out there doing good things for the glory of God so that they will see God? This is not something we're supposed to hide. We should be out in our community. Now, I can promise you, when we get our Rehoboth, and I did, I toured another church this week. It's not going to work. We tried myself and the staff to figure every way to make it work. It's not going to work. But that just lets me know we're, we're this close. Amen. We've got our Rehoboth coming. But, but love is the real secret to local missions. As a matter of fact, local missions could really be spelled love. L-O-V-E. That's how we reach people for the glory of God. We take our church to the community and we reach people and we minister to people. You know, the community, there's people out there and they're asking questions about all churches. Things like, where are they in the community? What are they doing for the people of the community? When are they going to bring the church outside the four walls that they're so proud of and do something to help the community? Make no mistake about it. We're going to get in a Rehoboth and on a community, and we're going to impact that community. My heart is, is that we're going to turn that community upside down for the glory of God. Amen. We're going to be a light beaming out, shining for people to know where they can find answers. Somebody say amen. Do you believe that? Do you want that? What is the scriptural basis for local missions? 1 Corinthians 9 19 through 23, this is what Paul said. And I said it last week, but I want to kind of hit it, and then I'm going to shotgun blast all kinds of stuff at you. For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. In fact, let's just as I read, I'm just going to put us in there. For though Bridge of Hope is free from all, we have made ourselves a servant to the community God's going to send us that we may win more of them. To that community, we're going to become as them in order to win Jews. I'm, I'm, I'm reading the scripture, but I just want you to get that mindset. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I may win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, watch this, that by all means I, Bridge of Hope Church, might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. And I'll tell you what we're not going to do. We're not going to go in a community and be embarrassed at the name of Jesus. We're not going to be shy to let the gospel out. Everybody else is coming out of the closet. I say the church needs to come out also. Amen. Glory to God. Why should we be the only ones that are embarrassed of our message? I think we ought to be to the forefront and tell people, hey, you need Jesus Christ in your life. Somebody shout amen. Local missions is not a church marketing program to impress the community. We're not here to impress somebody. We're not going to call the media to come put the news of our outreach to the hungry on the news. 
The, the media doesn't print them up to church, amen? We lift up Jesus, he draws all men. We're not looking for the media to help us out here. As a matter of fact, we will never get the media involved in what we do as a church to video because they'll find a way to backfire it on us. They'll find a way to make us look bad. We don't worry about the media. Local missions is not about getting marketing done for the church. It is about us reaching people for Jesus' sake. Somebody say amen. That's what we're interested in. 1 Corinthians 13, 3 says this. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. The goal of local missions, listen, is to demonstrate the love of Jesus to people who do not have Jesus in their heart. That is what we are about, and that's where we're headed, and that's what we're going to do. You want to know what next year is going to be about? We're going to focus on our mission statement, to connect people to Jesus Christ, that's local missions, and to each other. That's, that's fellowship and discipleship, small groups. That's what we're going to do. We're going to be about two main things. We're going to reach as many people as we can, and we're going to disciple them and love on them and connect them with each other. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, there are three main areas in which local missions that we should attempt to do for the community, and that serves as my point today. Point number one is feeding, practical needs, food warehouses. Did you know that suburban poor is a big thing now? Did you know people have mortgaged themselves to the hilt? Their mortgage is so high, their car payments are so high, they'll pull up. Listen, they are pulling up into food warehouses, getting food, driving up in BMWs because they owe so much money they can't afford to buy food anymore. They're having people put boxes of food in the trunk of their BMWs because they can't afford it. One guy decided he was going to do something about it. So he started getting a hold of Costco and all the big box stores. They said, I'll tell you what, Walmart, Costco, all of them. They said, you can come have all the food you want at the end of the day, but you got to take it all and you got to take it that day. He thought, well, what am I going to do? He started getting some help. He got him a big warehouse. He started setting it up. Now he's got his own Costco. And he lets the family and the community come in and for pennies on the dollar go through and get food. He's got Pottery Barn giving bedding stuff. I'm talking about $1,000 bedding sets. He gets them to donate them. He brings them in, sets them in there. And families that can't afford that come in there for just a couple of bucks. Get them some brand new Pottery Barn with tags on them. They're getting food. They're shopping through like it's a Sam's or a Costco. Now, it costs money to have infrastructure like that, but wouldn't it be something for us to have a food warehouse like that? Wouldn't it be something where people could come and get them something to eat and have groceries for their family? Somebody say amen. amen. Clothes and appliances and furniture. Let me tell you, Georgia at our church, some of you have heard this before. Some of you, it'll be new. Listen, we, had a, we turned our whole basement. We weren't using it anyways for anything really productive. So we turned it into a, a whole outreach center. We, we had clothes everywhere. We would go to Cato's and places, and they would say, we can't legally give you the clothes, but I'll tell you when we're going to throw it out there, and we'll set it by the dumpster. And if you just happen to come by and get the clothes with tags still on them, then you can just have all you want. And we'd go out there and get these clothes. And we had brand new clothes just sitting everywhere. And they would come in one night a week. And they would grab clothes that they, for them and their children and their families. And we'd just give it to them. We would track it all so that, you know, we learned the people that would come every week. And they're having yard sales. We figured that out. But you know what? We just want to bless people. Amen. We became a little appliance warehouse. 
We'd get somebody to call me and say, hey, Pastor Dallas, do you want a washer and dryer? I said, well, does it work? I don't want you junk. <laughs> they said, it works. It's just older. We got something new, but it still works. I said, bring it on. Almost inevitably, 100% of the time, they'd bring the washer and dryer within a couple days. Maybe sometimes that day. Somebody call and say, hey, Pastor, do you happen to have a washer and dryer? Matter of fact, we just did. Bring your pickup truck. It's yours. We did that over and over and over, and I can't even begin to tell you how many people came and got clothes and got furniture, beds, you name it, uh, appliances, refrigerator, you name it. It was all kinds of stuff. It was like a revolving door, and we got to minister to those people and see some of those people saved. We were helping the community. Somebody say amen. We can do cooking outreaches, picnics at the park. Here you go, food trucks for the homeless. How cool would it be to get our own food truck instead of pulling up outside of work and selling sandwiches for a profit, going to where the homeless are, open it up and say, what kind of hot dog would you like? What kind of hamburger would you like? Well, do you want cheese on that? Let me give you a nice, good cheeseburger. You want some fries to go with that? We're just going to bless you today. Man, I'm going to tell you, give them the gospel message. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm going to shotgun a whole lot at you. I think it's time that we get out there and do some of this stuff. One time on Thanksgiving morning, we decided, we, you know, there are people all over the community. They couldn't afford a turkey, or they couldn't afford the, the, the stuff to go with it. So we just advertised ahead of time, went to the local grocery store, which would be like a Kroger, and we got them to donate three to 400 whole turkeys. They sent their whole trailer out, their cooler trailer. They brought it out, set it on our property, three or 400 turkeys in there. It was stayed cold for them. We, brought, we got boxes of canned goods and stuff that you would want to hand out to make a full Thanksgiving meal. We had police there escorting. The line went down the road so far you couldn't see the end of the cars. We made it a drive through They got a turkey. They got a box. And God bless you. And they drove off. We served three to 400 people on that Thanksgiving with little messages about the gospel in there. We reached people. Somebody say amen. Disaster centers. When people have a disaster problem, they got to have somewhere to go. Pastor Larry Stockstill, who was over our pastor's university and taught us, his church was in Baton Rouge. He said in 2003, when Hurricane Katrina went through New Orleans, the people who still had a car just, just left. They, their house was underwater. They lost it all. They drove to Baton Rouge, and in his church, he has three crosses side by side that stick up, I don't know, 60, 80, 90 feet in the air, right on the side of I-10, the interstate. Well, people saw the crosses and thought, maybe they can help, and they pulled in. He got a call and said, hey, Pastor Larry, you need to get down here. There's a lot of people down here. Turned out there were 700 people that were now homeless, had no food, no clothes, and nowhere to go. Here they are, parked on their 75 acres, looking to that church to say, hey, we need help. Pastor Larry showed up out there. The first thing he did, he said, I called the mayor, former mayor, because he knew him. He said, I got all these people. I need help. He said, you know how to administrate things like this. The mayor said, I, I'm, let me, I'm, I'm on it. Do you want my help? Yeah, I want, my, I want your help. He started making phone calls. Pastor Larry got out there, gathered them on. He said, okay. He said, I'd like to tell you, my name's Pastor Larry Stockstill, pastor of Bethany Church, and I'm your new mayor. He said, for the next few months, he said, until you get on your feet, he said, I'm going to feed you. We're going to bring in showers for you. We're going to bring in clothes. We're going to bring in medical supplies. Everything you and your family are ever going to need, you're going to have it here. But he said, 
We're not going to tolerate pushing and shoving and cutting in line. He said, we got one rule here. We operate by the law of love. He said, now, if you can operate by the law of love, you can stay. If you get out of sorts, you're going to have to go. But if you operate the way you're supposed to, we're going to take care of you until you get on your feet. That lasted for nine months. Their church property turned into a, 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 a portable camp. It was so effective. He was in his house after a morning exercise, and he told us he got a knock on the door. One of his kids said, hey, there's some police out there and out the front door. You're going to have to, I don't know what they want. He went to the door. He answered the door. They said, oh, we've been telling people we're state police because we don't freak anybody out. He said, actually, we're Secret Service, and President Bush is going to be here in 30 minutes to tour what you've been doing because what you've been doing is a big deal. And it's getting out there, and he wants to see how you're doing it. He'll be here in 30 minutes. Oh, well, i got to have a quick shower. <laughs> he took a quick shower. He says, God, honest truth. He took a quick shower, ran over to the lobby area. It was Monday morning. They had, had church. The church was a mess. So he started going around the lobby, picking up big pieces of trash so it looked somewhat presentable. Here comes the entourage. President Bush walks in, spends two hours on the property, Talking to every family. Now, what Pastor Larry didn't tell me that his assistant did tell me in a private meeting. He said, he, President Bush went to all 700 people and said, you, right now, what you need, and it's done. We're going to take care of it. He said, but under one rule, you tell no media. If you tell the media, you get nothing. And he served 700 people, got them homes, got them places to live, put clothes on their back, and refused to let the media know. It became such a great relationship that Pastor Larry Stocksdale would go back and forth to the president, to the White House, praying for President Bush and so forth. All because he allowed his property to be a place for people to hang out while they had a great need. Wouldn't it be something for us to have a property that could help people when they have a need? I know I'm blowing your mind right now, but I want to just tell you where we're headed. We're headed to reach out to people of all color, all creed, all nationalities, all kind of rich, poor, in between. It don't matter. If you're a human being, Jesus Christ died for everyone. Somebody say amen. My former church in Bremen, I had a vision. God put in me to buy a hotel right close to the church. And I kept telling the church, this is going to be for women. We're going to rescue them out of sex slavery and, and terrible situations. And we're going to give them a safe place to live. And we're going to house them. Well, you know, they're not there just yet. But they have turned part of the church. The, the pastor who took over for me, he called me up. He said, hey, I just thought you would know that we turned in one of the floors of the church. We've got women that have been rescued out of sex slavery. And they're housed in our church now. And they're taken care of. And this is just a start to the vision God put in you. I said, praise God. Some of you don't sound very excited about where we're going. <laughs> Listen, if church to you is all nice and clean and everything, uh-uh. I want the dirty people. I want the people with all kinds of problems. I want you know, one pastor, he said, he said, all of a sudden he saw smoke coming from the middle of the church. He stopped. He said, dude, are you smoking weed in my service? The dude was smoking a joint in the middle of church. He said, well, you need to put that out, but we, you need Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great to buy a hotel or build something where we could get as many people off the streets and out of that horrendous lifestyle of sex labors we possibly could? A safe place to minister to them and maybe their children. 
Somebody say amen. amen. I'm going to throw just, I'm going to keep throwing some crazy stuff at you. I know you're looking at me and you're like, Pastor, I see about 70 people in here. You done lost your mind. You know what? We started with 50 in Bremen, and we just kept doing little by little by little, and we became kind of the church that did everything in the town. Listen, number two, point number two, blessing. Not only going to feed and do things practically, we're going to pray in visitation, nursing home programs, hospital ward visitation, encouragement. Do you know there are people that are living in nursing homes that haven't been visited by anybody in five years? Could you stop by a nursing home and visit somebody? One couple had a Saturday cleanup for their neighborhood with an event in the local park, and they went to this one lady's house. She, her shrubs were growing up over the whole house. You couldn't even see the front door. They went in, and they thought, well, let's just see if she needs help. Turned out it was, a, it was a, an invalid lady, and she couldn't do anything to help herself. Well, the men got out there, and they cut them hedges down, and they cleaned the whole thing up one morning. And then they said, hey, the park right next door, we're doing out, uh, another group is doing free food, and we want you to come over and have free food. I mean, they just ministered to this lady in her time of need. One church went to the city officials, and he said, hey... Um, is there a job that you as the city absolute hate doing? They said, yes, cleaning the right-of-ways. We can't stand it. He said, for the next year, I'll take care of it. He went and got tractors and people. They cleaned up all the right-of-ways in town, and the city was beside themselves. And guess what? Anything that church asked for, those city officials bent over backwards to help them because they solved a problem the city hated doing. How many think we could do something like that? In Bremen, the chief of police, listen, I got to have a, 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 a relationship with him. He called me for special meetings. Hey, I want you to come pray over our meal and just bless us. He called me at night sometimes. Hey, this is Chief Pezzo. I said, hey, chief. He'd say, listen, I got you on speakerphone. My men and women are about to go on a drug raid in the worst drug house in town. And I just want you to pray protection over my men and women. Can you do that? I said, well, are you sure? Absolutely. We'd pray. And he'd come back to me and say, everything was safe. Praise God, no injuries, everything is well. And then I'd roll stop signs in town. They had stop signs in the goofiest places. And everybody in town rolled them. And there was this one police officer, and she'd write, they'd tell her, don't you write no pastor in town a ticket. Well, she just delighted in pulling me over. She'd pull me over. I'd call chief and say, hey, so-and-so pulled me over. He'd say, well, Brother Dallas, just don't even worry about it. Just tear it up. We ain't going to worry about you rolling a stop sign. So the next time, about 30 days later, I rolled another one in another part of town. She pulled me over again. She wrote me the ticket again. Well, I was embarrassed to call chief, so I went to the captain. I said, man, I need you to do something about this. He said, all right. He comes over to the church the next day laughing. He goes, hey, chief wants to talk to you. I thought, ugh, it's like trying to get by with it. He said, hey, I understand you rolled another stop sign. He's laughing on the phone. I said, well, it's true, it's true. And uh, he said, well, don't worry about it. And I said, well, listen. I said, chief, I said, does it bother you when I call you about problems like this? He said, well, let me ask you. He says, does it bother you when I call you at night to pray for my men and women? I said, no, I take delight in it. He said, well, he said, I help you. He said, that's what we're here to do, help each other. We need prayer, and you need help rolling stop signs. 
Honest to goodness, truth, three days before I moved up here, he said, hey, Dallas, I want to take you to lunch. Took him to lunch. He had some nice things to say. The whole town's talking about y'all leaving. We're going to miss you, this, that, and the other. And he said, now listen. He said, you roll stop signs in Cincinnati. I can't help you. Uh, maybe participate in multi-church serve the city days. You know, I, we, we brought in homeless people and people to, to have a meal. Monday night was our night. Man, we fed them meals, gave them clothes. And I noticed some of their, their hair was ratty. And I thought, we got four or five hair salon people in our church. So I went to them and I said, hey, if I buy a couple of chairs and set up part of the basement as a hair salon, would you donate an hour on Monday nights not even every week, maybe every couple of weeks, every three weeks, whatever, once a month, whatever you can do, to just cut hair for an hour for some of these people. They don't have no money to get a haircut and just fix their hair up. They said, sure. And we put us a little hair salon down there. And them women would come in, and, man, they'd shampoo their hair. They'd cut their hair. Them ladies left so high. And then the teenage girls got excited, and they said, well, we want to do something. How about we do their nails while, when they're done with their haircut? I said, well, that's fine with me if that's what you want to do. And they started doing their nails. So these homeless ladies are leaving with their belly full, with a little bit of clothes in a bag, their hair done, all fixed up, their nails. Man, they were hot to try. Praise God. And oh, by the way, you couldn't get all that without having to sit down and listen to the gospel message. And yes, we saw people saved. How many would think we could do something like that? Wouldn't it be great? Some of you are like, Dad, Pastor, he's done fallen off the wagon now. He's lost his mind. No, I'm going to do all things I can by all means to save some. That's what my heart is. If you want to know where our church is going, that's where it's going I love it. One pastor, he brought in back in the 70s when the hippie days, he brought in the hippies, all the hippies. No churches wanted the hippies back then. He brought all the hippies in. They would come to him and complain in his church. I mean, a high-dollar, highfalutin church in Atlanta, Georgia, in a very rich area, in a very rich church. And they'd come in there, and they're like, Pastor, you, we can't have them sitting in here without shirts on. He's like, why not? Well, they, he talked to me. He said, oh, we need you to put your shirt on. Then they'd come. They'd say, man, one of them's urinating in the stairwell. Come on, pastor. We don't need to have them no more. He'd have a hundred of them. They wouldn't even sit in the chairs. Them hippies would line up, a hundred of them sitting in there. They didn't even know how to sit in the chair. I mean, they were just out there. Old Woodstock, just high as a kite. He started when they finally, the elders came to him and they said, listen, we're not going to have any of this anymore. Well, that made him mad. He said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll take them hippies and buy the church across town and put you out of business, but we're not going to not win these people to Christ. Well, they finally went with them. They started winning all them hippies like crazy. And now those hippies are the leaders of the church and their kids are the leaders of the church. And that church is booming and busting and doing great. I want all people. Everybody say all. All. By all means to save some. Third point is freedom. Prisons. Prison ministry, drug outreach, recovery centers, drug hab ministries. Uh, one place does a Lazarus project where they can house 12 to 15 of them at a time. I know in Bremen, we did a Celebrate Recovery. And it got so successful that we started getting people. Listen, the judges in town started court ordering people to come to our church. They said, you got a choice. You remember the old days? You go to jail or go to the military? I'm, I kid you not, in Bremen it was, you going to jail or you going to Bridge of Hope or you going to Covenant Life? You going to their recovery center? 
And we started getting people coming in. The judges, they they say, here, I need you to sign this. Mark off on me. And we knew some of them were there just for that reason, but they were getting the gospel in. Wouldn't it be something to do a recovery center to see people come off drugs and alcohol and those kinds of things? One guy started a mentoring program. This is something in my heart for our community. He started an after-school mentoring program. 400 kids every day. The church gave him the whole gym. He's got 115 athletic athletes coming in that he's mentoring and putting out there. Look, we're not going to try to do every different type of outreach. We're not going to try to get our finger in everybody's pie. We're not going to whittle our resources away on everybody else's passion. We need to get our own passion about what God wants us to be involved in. My saying this to you is because if you're an earshot, here's what I've prayed over you this week. Now you've heard it, you're responsible for it. (laughs) It's for you to pray and say, God, what's my part? During the 21-day fast in January, I expect you to pray and say, God, what can I help do? Every one of us has a part. Wouldn't it be something to have a kitchen? Where we feed people. I know a good cook. I know somebody who likes it. Jonathan Stockstill in Bethany. He got a heart. That's Pastor Larry's son. He got a heart for um, kids in the foster program. He took, he, took a, he took a thousand families. And out of the church budget. Gave them a hundred dollars each. To buy them something for Christmas. The church spent a hundred thousand dollars. And they said we're going to bless a thousand families. He was at the governor's mansion, and he had the governor for about 20 minutes alone, which is very rare. The governor said, what are you doing? He told him about what they're doing for foster children. The governor got all excited of Louisiana. He called his wife. He said, hey, you need to come here and hear this. He told him. The governor's wife almost started crying. She said, we have such a problem with foster kids in Louisiana. She said, there's so many. We're out of room. She said, we're actually housing them in state offices. She said, where am I where to put them? She said, if I get pastors together at a meeting, could you come just share your heart with them? So all the dude is is going to a reception, and now he's got a government assignment because he's interested in missions. He wrote a letter to 5,000 pastors in Louisiana and said, we need you to have one person, somebody in your church just adopt one kid or foster one kid. That will get 5,000 kids out of the system. If one person in your church just fosters one. Listen, this got so radical, let me blow your mind. In the state of Oregon, there are zero foster kids. The pastors got together, working together, and they said, you know what, we got a problem in the state of Oregon. And they started getting their people to foster kids, and they started getting the word out there. Listen, the governor of Oregon suspended the foster care program in the state of Oregon because there's no kids. Not only is every kid in the state of Oregon placed, there's a waiting list. So if a kid comes up, they got families waiting on them already. What would happen if the churches in Ohio did something like that? Folks, that's what church is about. Church isn't to come in here on Sundays and dance a little and feel good about ourselves and go home and hide our light. Church is here to affect our community for the gospel. Woo! Somebody shout Amen. One small group, groups of small groups got together. We got two small groups in our church that have started projects all on their own. And I applaud you 100%. That's wonderful what we're doing. 
One small group decided they want to go to the trailer park. They cleaned it up. Another one came and said, well, we'll set the pool area up with clothes for everybody. Another one came and said, well, we'll cook meals for everybody and bring food. And they went in that trailer park and they cleaned it up, gave clothes to people, gave food to people. They just blessed them. Praise God, somebody say amen. In a men's business leadership group, they raised money in November. The pastor went to them and said, hey, we need to buy 300 bicycles for kids that don't have them. We're going to bless them for a Christmas project. They raised the money. They had a Saturday where all those men came out, put all them bikes together. And then on a Sunday, they had 300 bikes all around the whole church, brought in those families and let those kids just run up and pick out whatever one they want and ride it on back to their seat. Man, that's affecting the community. Somebody say amen. By the way, they're in church. They're going to hear the gospel that Sunday. We've got to develop a practical answer for everything we're trying to eradicate. Having unwed mothers' homes, pregnancy resource centers. We can't just be against abortion. We've got to have an answer for it. Somebody say amen. We've got to create a holistic approach to benevolence. Gateway has done, they've mastered this better than anybody. You come in their church and say, I've got a need. I can't pay my power bill or I can't pay my rent. They'll do it. They'll make sure it goes where it goes, where it's supposed to go. And then if you come a second time, they'll say, well, we'll help you. But first you need to come in here and hear about the gospel. Or we're going to put you through Dave Ramsey's financial class. We're going to give you the tools so that you can better your life instead of just keep giving you doling out checks. We're going to help you fix this problem. It's the old adage, teach a man to fish or give him a fish. If you, if you give him a fish, he eats for a day. If you teach him to fish, he eats for a lifetime. In Honduras, when we do missions trips there, we've done it four times now. They have a ministry down there, and they, teach, they give these women who have no skills, they teach them how to sew, and they teach them how to do things so they can make money to feed their kids. And I said one day to the lady, boy, this is the old concept that, you know, if you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. If you teach him to fish, he eats for a lifetime. She said, yeah, well, we go a step further. Teach a woman how to fish and everybody eats. I said, man, that's right. <laughs> we need to begin to roll some of these things out to whatever our capacity is. You just start somewhere. What could you do? I mean, what, what strikes a chord in your heart? What could you help get going? What would it be like in, in our era if we began to do things like this? I mean, we can't do everything, and we can't do things just because other churches do them. But we need to pray in January, God, what's our part? No matter how bad they smell, I drove the van ministry so many times in Bremen on Wednesday nights. I'd go pick them up. Gosh, oh, some of them stunk so bad. It'd be freezing cold outside, 35 degrees, which for Bremen people, that's freezing. And we'd roll the windows down, and everybody would be freezing. They'd say, hey, does anybody want to roll the window up? Everybody said, no, leave it down. <laughs> they smelled, but that don't mean that's precluding them from hearing about Jesus and being loved on. We need the reign of God. I'm going to close with this prophecy that I've shared with our prayer team. Because all these things that I'm talking about are not just to make the place a better place to go to hell from. It's so that we can have an opportunity to win people to Jesus Christ. 
Do we still have a heart to do that? Jim LaFoon is widely known in the Christian circles, especially in America, as being very accurate with his prophecies. On June the 9th, 2022, and they're going to roll it, scroll it behind me, the Lord gave me a powerful vision about the United States of America. This is Jim LaFoon speaking. He continued to speak to me over the next 48 hours. That evening, I was deeply burdened for our country and was doing my best to battle against an overwhelming sense of despair. I was heartbroken over the ongoing polarization and division, and I was praying for a solution. Then I saw Jesus. He was walking across America. And his tears were falling on the parched ground. The landscape looked like a spiritual version of the 1930s Dust Bowl. I could not see his face clearly, but as I drew closer, the Holy Spirit focused my vision on his feet. They were covered with a thick coating of dust. Jesus began to speak to me, and this was the essence of what he said. Jim, none of this took my father and I by surprise. We knew that faith would die in the old world. It was our plan all along to plant it anew in the new world. The new world would be in the United States. We chose to use America to reach the world. We have sent revival after revival to your shores. No army or people could have ever destroyed America. Only Americans could destroy America, and that is what has happened. With these words ringing in my ears, Jesus stopped and looked up into heaven, and he began to pray, Please, Father, one more time. One more time. One more time. Then I realized he was asking his father to send another revival from heaven. His petitions seemed to go on endlessly, yet he never lost his passion. Finally, the father spoke from heaven, okay, one last time. I looked at the scene before me and the Holy Spirit focused my eyes once again on Jesus' dusty feet. As I pondered this vision, I realized we were in danger of the Godhead shaking off the dust of our nation because of America's ongoing rejection of the gospel. I asked Jesus, when will this revival begin? He said, the first drops are already fallen. Woo. Suddenly, an unusually large raindrop fell from heaven right next to Jesus' dusty feet. Much to my amazement, it did not evaporate immediately, but glistened in the burning sunshine. It actually created a dome-like canopy over the hot, parched ground. Then Jesus spoke to me again and said, Tell my church to create cisterns, spiritual water storage systems, to trap the first drops of revival rain. These words left me with an unusual sense of urgency. I realized we had to create fresh space in our churches for the Holy Spirit to move and touch lives. The Holy Spirit impressed upon me that without these first drops, our people would not have the spiritual strength they needed in order to press in for the fullness of the outpouring which would come soon. As the vision was coming to an end, the Holy Spirit spoke these words to me repeatedly. It's not business as usual. It's not business as usual. It's not business as usual. If we will be about, this is what I felt in my spirit this week. If we will be about what concerns God, and that is people, God will send the rain. 
We are those cisterns. We're those cisterns that catch the revival rain, and it's inside of us. It's the river of the Holy Spirit. Out of our belly shall flow rivers of living water. Water, rain is always typifies the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, the whole Bible. And if we will be about what God wants, I believe God will put a revival in our church that will reach down the streets. It will cause prostitutes to come running in and get saved. It will cause drug addicts to come running in and get saved. It will cause single mothers and single fathers to come in and get saved. It will cause those who think they've got life all together to come in and get saved. It will cause everybody high and low, rich and poor, of every color, every nation, every culture, every creed, to come running in to say, I need something that's real and you've got it. My question is, how bad do you want it? How bad are you willing to pray and seek the face of God to say, oh God, let it rain in my life and rain in our church? Are you willing to put up with people that may not look like you, may not smell like you, may not behave in the way you would behave, may not be people that you would even cross paths with, but you would love on them, you would bless them, you would love them right into the kingdom. I feel that's what the Lord is saying to Bridge of Hope. Will you be that kind of church? Will you be the kind of church that will wrap your arms around them and say, we don't care what you've done. We don't care where you've been. We know that Jesus, the same Jesus that saved me, is here to save you. He loves you. I love you. And you are welcome here. I hope your spirit is stirred today. I hope you're moved to compassion. Moved to get out of your comfort zone and say, I got to do something. Maybe there's dreams inside of you that have laid dormant for some time. And you say, man, I feel it stirring in me. I don't know how. I don't know where. But I'm willing, Lord. I want to invite you to come to this altar. If you say, Pastor, I want that revival rain. I want God to pour out his spirit. I want to be a cistern. I want to have a last day revival moving in me and our church. And I want to win as many as we can. Thousands, tens of thousands. One church prayed this way. And they saw 18,000 people saved in 90 days. God can do that with us. I'm going to ask you just to come to an old-fashioned altar. I know I ask you every Sunday, but I don't know. There's just something about coming before the Lord. Maybe with a broken heart that just says, God, break my heart with the things that breaks yours. God, give me a love for the undesirables. Give me a love to get out and do something to help people so I can by all means save some. Is that you? Would you come? Would you just find a spot? I don't know. They'll put a CD or music on or something. Can we just pray a few moments?